Well, good morning. It's good to see some familiar faces I haven't seen for a while, some faces I haven't seen ever before, and some faces that I saw last week. So if you're any of those, welcome to Why Is That a Free? It's good to have you. What a year to be Jimmy Johnson. If you know who I'm talking about, you know that Jimmy Johnson's last year was amazing. If you have no idea who I'm talking about, Jimmy Johnson drives the Lowe's number 48 car. And the word dominant does not describe him enough. In his, in his win in 2008, it makes him the only second person ever. i got to write the, make sure I read this right because I'm not that NASCAR guy. Winning in 2008 made him a three-time reigning NASCAR Sprint Cup champion. He is one of only two drivers to win three consecutive Sprint Cup Series championships. I had to start with that because last time I preached, I shared a little bit about my friend who watches NASCAR and how different he is from me. And the comments that I kept hearing afterwards are, you really got to get into NASCAR. You should really get into NASCAR. So I'm not really into NASCAR, but I know of Jimmy Johnson. And I know at one point, at one point, as the races were going on, the other racers, as they were interviewed, would talk about their desires to win the race, but it didn't matter because Jimmy Johnson had it all sealed up. So 2008 will be remembered for many reasons, including Jimmy Johnson. It was the first time ever that the citizens of the United States elected a black president. It was the year that a Manning brought his team to the Super Bowl, only this time It was Peyton's younger brother, Eli. It was the year when there was a guy by the name of Michael Phelps who dominated the sport of swimming, dominated the World Olympics like no other person has ever done in history. 2008 will be remembered as, for some of you, as the year you sent your baby off to college. For some of you, it will be the first time you've been together, just the two of you in a long time. For some of you, it's that experience of finally having that freedom away from your parents. 2008 has many highlights that if we reflect on, we can look back and see. I turned the TV on uh, between services and was reminded that the Phillies won the World Series. It is also 2008 is a chance that the Vikings could be division champs. I don't know if the laughter is a good sign, thinking they might do it, or in typical Viking fashion it gets messed up. I don't know. But there are many highlights in 2008, but for some of us there were some real struggles. Some of us lost loved ones. Some of us felt the effects of a separation or divorce. I would say most of us felt the effects of a struggling economy. Our wallets are a little lighter. Our our Christmas spending might not have been what it was the year before, meaning our presents might not have been what they were before. But 2008 brings brought change and different things and and for our church also, 2008, in 2008, we had some change. We hired a new, a new lead pastor. 
In January, Kevin Meyer started. Shortly after Kevin came, we, we hired Andrea to be the director of the Sunday morning experience. And she works with Mary and Joan and Brett and Mark. We, uh, soon after that, uh, the worship pastor that we had at the time, John, accepted another position as lead pastor at a church in Buffalo. We hired our early childhood coordinator and made her full-time. Something that directly impacted me as my workload got a little less is we hired a uh, senior high youth pastor in Jeremy Kennedy. And I got to tell you, Jeremy, great guy. Great to do ministry with. We were, we were, uh, last week we had a Christmas gathering, or two weeks, a family Christmas gathering that Jeremy and I were up here leading together and kids and, and a whole team of people got together. But someone came up to me afterwards and said, is Jeremy like your distant brother or what's the deal? Because your mannerisms are the same. Everything's the same. And I said, well, it's just we're youth pastors. They send us to a youth pastor conference and we come out like this. So. But I got to tell you, going back just a little bit, this has been my favorite year ever to be on staff at Wyzetta. Andrea, who we've hired to um, direct this service, has done some incredible changes. And, and I got to tell you, I love what's happened. And I love how Andrea has a team around her. And that this Sunday morning experience is built upon a team. And, and with the goal of bringing the spirit to our community. Andrea works hard, and she's, hard, she's supposed to be here part-time, but, but she, just, she just puts herself in the middle of, of what she desires so much. And that's for the Spirit to move within this body. I love having Andrea here. Andrea wouldn't be here if it weren't for Kevin, who I got to tell you is the best lead pastor I've ever worked with in my life. He is not only competent as a leader, but Kevin has a way of making us all on staff feel like we own what's going on. Kevin, um, as I just shared a little bit ago, we did a Christmas gathering and um, we got some feedback and, and stuff and it was good feedback. And then Kevin responds to all, to Sarah and, and the team of people that we have up here and and saying nice job and everything. And his closing line was, thank you for allowing me to be part of your team. He has a great heart. He's in tune with God's heart. And he's a great leader. And I, I'm so thankful that God has brought him to Wyzetta. Adult classes, we've added some new adult classes. We've added a next step class where people can who are attending the church newly or have been here for a while but want to get involved in a little bit can go to the class and figure out ways to be involved. But also, what's at the heart of Wyzetta? We started a new class called Breathing Lessons. And the goal of Breathing Lessons were for us to breathe in the Spirit of God so that we could exhale the acts of God. Wyzetta has had an exciting year. It's been awesome to be a part of. For me personally, 2008, I could have done without as many car accidents as I had. Some of you heard about my foot and, and uh, I missed a Sunday and 
things were coming back, like maybe I lost my toe, maybe, um, I don't know, but my toe was dislocated, it's still on my foot, I'm okay. My girls, it was, I had a girl that went in, one of my daughters, my oldest daughter started first grade, another one of my middle daughters started kindergarten. On Tuesday mornings, I do a group with a bunch of men, and we have been doing a Bible study together for a while. And this year, we've been going through Hebrews. And what I love about Hebrews is the author of Hebrews starts the first several chapters talking about things that that the first century Jews who were reading the Bible at the time would totally understand. They were talking about the pillars of faith. And what the writer of Hebrews does is says, Comparing Jesus to these pillars, Jesus is superior to all of them. This morning what I'd like to do is go through and look at some of those pillars. We'll cover three of them. There's lots of them in there, but we'll cover three of them. And then we'll move on and, and, and I'll give you a resolution maybe for, the, for 2009. So if you would, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 is where we'll start. If you're flipping around your Bibles and you're using one of the Pew Bibles, Hebrews is found on page 1,184. Or you can look at the screen too, either way. So let's read it. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things and through whom He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. After He had provided purifications for our sin, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty in heaven. A few days ago we gathered with our family or friends, or some of us gathered just close and And we celebrated the birth of a special baby, of the Messiah, of Jesus. And to the first century Jews, the idea of Jesus, they didn't know what to expect. They they awaited this Messiah. The writers of Hebrews takes what they know and compares Jesus to that. And the first thing that he says is Jesus is superior to all the prophets that you know. Jesus is superior to the prophets. In, if you look at verse 2, in these last days God has spoken through his Son. God used many approaches to send his message to his people throughout history. He spoke to Isaiah in visions, to Jacob in a dream, and to Abraham and Moses personally, the, the voice. Jewish people would have not found it hard to believe that God was still revealing His will because they were familiar with the way that God had revealed Himself to their forefathers. However, it was astonishing to them that God would choose His Son. Verse verse 2b, just a little bit on in that spot. It says that Jesus is appointed heir to all things. Because Jesus is the Son of God, He's also the heir to all that is God's. God is the creator of the universe and He owns everything in it. Jesus, therefore, being God's Son, 
will inherit everything in the universe. During Old Testament times, this was really very relevant. More so than probably today if I were looking at it. Because I'm not a Jew. I'm not. But it was very relevant because the Jewish tradition or the Jewish society was a patriarchal society. Where the eldest son would be responsible for all that was his, his father's after his father passes. I sometimes wish we lived in a patriarchal society. I'll tell you a little story. This uh, last Christmas Eve, so just uh, last week, I was at my uh, mom celebrating Christmas with my sister and my uh, two brothers. And, and uh, my mom's house, we were in this dining area, but then she has a living room. And in this living room, she has one lazy boy recliner. If you can imagine all of us gathered there and not great seating for the rest, but this one awesome spot, everyone wanted it. So I remember my sister going up to uh, some of us, more than one of us, and saying, hey, I need that chair. And we'd say, what? And she would say, seniority. If we lived in a patriarchal society... I could look at her and say, patriarch. Jesus is greater than the prophets because God spoke through him. And Jesus is greater than the prophets because he's the heir of all things that is God's, that are God's. Later in verse 2, I call it 2C. It says, it was through Jesus that God made the world. Many of us think of Jesus coming to existence, and we celebrate that at Christmas. But what we're celebrating is his earthly birth. It tells us that, that Jesus, through, through Jesus, God made the world. Jesus was before the world. We only celebrate his earthly birth. Therefore, Jesus is the creator as much as God is. Jesus always was. He is eternal, just like God. And Jesus is superior to the prophets because he is the radiance of God. In verse 4, you can, or verse 3, it says Jesus is the radiance of God. To me, that didn't really make a big deal. I thought, okay, Jesus is the radiance of God. But then I thought of it this way. So I want you to think of all, think of it this way with me. Think of the sun. Not S-O-N, S-U-N. Okay? Think of the sun. The sun has rays. We call those rays the radiance of the sun. Those rays are 100% sunshine. But they have a different nature and a different name. Jesus Christ is the ray of God. 100% God, but a different nature and a different name. Jesus is a superior prophet because he is the radiance of God's glory. Now, to us, being superior to the prophets, we might go, oh, okay. But to a Jew, the prophets were, were big deals. And, G- and the writer of Hebrews wants to make clear who this Jesus, this Christ child, is. He is not, he's not equal to the prophets, your pillar, but he's greater than the prophets. The writer of Hebrews continues to go on in uh, verses 4 through 14 to tell us that Jesus is not just superior to the prophets, 
But Jesus is superior to the angels. So if you would, read with me verses 4 through 14. Still on that same page. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says, He makes the angels winds and the servants flames of fire. But about the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. And righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with oil of joy. He also says, in the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you will remain the same, and your years will never end. To which the angels, to which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies the footstool of your feet. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? In the United States, as Eastern religions spread and, and the world becomes more global, one of the things that even Kevin mentioned sometimes from the pulpit is, is we are... As citizens of the, of, of, uh, as U.S. people, we are more willing to talk about spiritual matters than we have been in the past. We're more willing to talk about them as long as we don't say only one. That's something we're not supposed to say. And we don't speak about Christianity. That's another. Those two things are still taboo. But the world is open to talking about spiritual matters. About angels. One of the things that I get to do, because angels are fascinating. We don't know lots about them. We don't know. Um, they're just interesting. We see them, you know, in, in uh, movies. We see them all over. And, and they're fascinating to us. And one of the things that I enjoy is to talk to uh, middle school students about what is the role of angels and, and what is their job. And, but in the first century, uh, the first century Jews were struggling a little bit. They had an imbalanced uh, idea of who angels were and what their role was and where their proper place was. So Jesus went to say, here's your pillar of prophets, and now here's your pillar of angels. And Jesus is superior to them. Why is he superior to them? Well, verse 5 tells us he is the Son. Jesus has a title that no other man, no other being possesses. He is the Son of God. He's the name above all names. Sometimes the angels as a collective group were, were called the sons of God. And you find that in Act, or in Job 1.6. But they would never be called the Son of God individually. There's a clear difference in title. Jesus appeared to angels because they worshipped him. 
We worship things that we consider greater than ourselves. We don't worship things that we consider to be equal to us. Angels worship Jesus. Jesus is greater than the angels. Verse 8 and 9 say that Jesus is enthroned and and anointed. Jesus' throne is forever. His kingdom lasts forever. Your throne, O God, will last forever. It says in Psalm 45, 6. The writer of Hebrews quotes from the OT repeatedly in demonstrating Christ's greatness in comparison to angels. Like I said before, the first century Jewish followers had an imbalanced belief in the angels and their roles. Jesus was greater than them. His kingdom lasts forever. He's placed as the king, his footstool. And then there's a part in there about the anointing. And it says that you're anointed will be a, the, you will be anointed with the oil of joy. And anointing is a, a rite that, uh, a rite of passage, a rite of consecration for some sacred function. We saw it with Aaron and his sons as the priests. Saul was anointed. Elijah was anointed. And then if we look at verse 10 through 12, again, which is a quote from Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27. Jesus is the eternal creator. The author of Hebrews uses Psalms to demonstrate the Messiah creator. And thus prior to creation, he was. After creation, he will be. Jesus, it talks about how he will roll things up like a robe. Jesus is not bound in time. Jesus is greater than all created, including angels. And finally, Jesus is greater than the angels because Christ is sovereign. And angels are servants, as it tells us in 13 and 14. So, so Jesus, so the writer of Hebrews doesn't knock these pillars. He doesn't say bad things about the prophets who did great things. He doesn't say bad stuff about the angels. He says instead, see how good they are? Jesus is superior to that. As a Gentile, this helps me to understand who this baby is that we learn to worship. He's greater than prophets. He's greater than angels. I have a friend who used to work at uh, this church. He used to be in charge of our building and all the maintenance and all that kind of stuff. His name's Les. Les left our church, left the staff, to um, pursue um, being a Messianic rabbi. He's, he is uh, Jewish in blood and, and now often also a practicing Messianic Jew, which means he is a Jew that professes Christ. And I went out, with, out to eat with him when he was just getting started and, and had probably been in this courses for a couple months, a few months. And uh, he began to share with me about Moses. There is no greater pillar besides God. There's Moses, I'll say it this way, Moses is a great pillar in Jewish tradition, in Jewish faith. Moses is the man 
who led the people out of slavery. Moses is special. Special from every other, um, every other figure in the Old Testament. If you're a Jew, Moses is the man. So when the writer of Hebrews says Jesus is superior to Moses, it's revolutionary. But that's what he does. Turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews, to Hebrews chapter 4. And then go with me to Hebrews chapter 3, just for fun. Hebrews chapter 3. Let's, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brothers who share in this heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and the high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone. But God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. And we are his house if we hold on to our courage and hope of which we boast. Moses was the man. And Jesus is superior to Moses. Jesus is superior because he is greater in person. Moses was a mere man called to be a prophet and a leader while Jesus was a son of God sent by the Father into the world. Moses was faithful in God's house, but Jesus was the maker of the house. Moses was great, and to this day, the most important figure in Jewish tradition. He showed the law to his people and led them out of slavery. But in comparison to Jesus, Moses was mere man. Jesus is greater than Moses because Jesus gave is greater in the ministry, in his ministry. The word house is used seven times in these six verses. And it it refers to the people of God. Moses spoke to Jews in the Old Testament. They were chosen, the chosen people of God. But Jesus establishes this new message, this new covenant, which is open for everyone. Jesus is superior not only in the fact that he delivers the message, but that he creates the message, that he is the message. And then Jesus is superior to Moses in the rest that he gives. Moses walked around in the desert for 40 years. They had a hope of a promised land of their own, a promised land of rest. The rest that Moses was leading people's, God's people to was a temporary rest. But the, the rest that Jesus gives is an for everlasting rest and eternal rest. 
Jesus is greater in Moses than Moses because of the rest he gives. Because he's the one that created the house. I love that the writer of Hebrews uses things in history to tell the people about who Jesus is. He refers them back. Look at your prophets. Jesus is greater than them. Look at the angels. Jesus is greater than them. It goes through the, the middle part. Look at Jesus is greater because of his humanity. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than Aaron and all the high priests. All these things that people would be familiar with. Jesus uses to point them forward towards Christ. I love, uh, I love doing Hebrews as my Bible study. I loved, I loved it. And I, I love Christ. I love finding out more about Jesus. About who he was, his nature. And Hebrews does a good job at that. But one of my favorite passages in all the Bible is, is found later in Hebrews. If you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. In the next few days, many of us are going to be making New Year's resolutions. And sometimes the greatest starting spot for the future is to look at the past and what we know. Read with me, if you would, uh, verses 19 through 25, which are some of my favorite, is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Therefore, whenever there's a therefore in the Bible, what you should do is stop right away and look at all the stuff ahead of it. Therefore, what? What, what therefore? What therefore? So if you, like, I think of it with my kids. Go to your room. Therefore, go to your room. Well, to know what that therefore is, I gotta find out why do they have to go to their room. To know why we're gonna do this, we gotta find out, go backwards and find out with God. Therefore, since Jesus is greater than the prophets, since Jesus is greater than the angels, since Jesus is greater than Moses, since Jesus is greater than Aaron and the high priest, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter this most highly place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience of having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards acts of love and good deeds. Let us not give up on meeting together, as some of you are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. I can think of my last year resolutions. Can you guys think of them? If you look back a year, do you remember what you said 2008 was going to be for you? For lots of us, including myself, it was, this is the year I get healthy. I started with a lifetime membership, and and January next month I'll start with another one because I let the other one go. And Some of us were going to make resolutions to spend more time with our family. Some of us were going to make resolutions to, I remember when I was in school, this is a semester that I get all A's. 
Sometimes it happened, sometimes it didn't. But as you look at this next year, consider this. Consider making 2009 the year that you encourage each other to do acts of love, to do acts of love and good deeds. Consider 2009 to be the year that you're going to be a person of love and a person who does good deeds. Because Jesus is superior to all things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for um, your, your promise. And, and my understanding that you, God, are greater than all this that we know. Of all that we hold on to, God, you're greater. God, I pray that that would be a comfort for some of us as we're hurting. And God, I pray that as we head into 2009, I pray that that would be a year where we love. And God, that that would be a year that our faith is evident by the good deeds that we do. God, 2009 is yours. May you be blessed throughout it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.